All right, well, today we are in the book of Acts, chapter 18. I was going to continue the marriage series, but I didn't think it was fair because a lot of the guys are up on the mountain, and just the wives are here, and they were trying to make me do it anyways, but I said, no. So we'll continue our journey through the Bible, and uh, we're now in the book of Acts, and, you know, uh, just watching this guy, you know, spread the gospel all around the world is, is pretty cool, you know, just to see the way the Lord worked. And as we see God use Paul in this way, we're going to see today planting the church in this great city of Corinth. There's a lot of things that we can glean in life. You know, you, you, may, you may look at this and you're thinking, well, I'm not a missionary. I'm not an evangelist per se. You know, that's not my calling. I'm not traveling the world and and doing things like that. But, you know, you might not be, you know, so to speak, that type of minister, but you are a minister somehow, somewhere in the body of Christ. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You may think, well, I'm not worthy or I'm not able. Well, none of us are. None of us are worthy. We will never be worthy. None of us are able. You know, we don't really have anything to offer, you know, but but, but us, we just say, Lord, here's my life. I, I want to be a vessel. I want you to use me. And so you belong, all of you here belong somewhere in the body of Christ. You have gifts you've been given. You have uh, talents. There's, you're here. The Bible even says that you were specifically born in a, in a place and at a time. I mean, God has preordained where you are and when you live. All of that is preordained by him because of the fact that he wants to use your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, life is good. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy life. I enjoy the fine foods, you know, the round table pizza. I mean, I, I enjoy, you know, the music and the, the, the colors and the, and the laughter. But, but ultimately, we're here for the gospel, we're here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to heaven and we want to take as many people with us as we can. You know, we're here to know him and to make him known. And so wherever it is, maybe not an evangelist, maybe not a missionary, maybe not, you know, a Paul uh, the apostle, but who knows, maybe you'll be an Apollo the apostle or something. I don't know. Somehow God will work it out to where if you're faithful, then you're going to be used by him somehow, some way. Henry was talking about going on the streets and just handing out, you know, invites. That, that might get people saved. Don't get caught up in your own life. You know, don't get caught up in having fun and, and pleasure and, and in the pursuits of this world. The Bible talks about how sometimes the word falls among the thorns and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. You know, I, I beg of you, don't do that. We were saved to serve. You know, I mean, we, you know, we're made by God to glorify Him and enjoy Him. But understand, as a church, you know, we want to not only exalt and, and, and enjoy, but we want to evangelize. And so let's watch how this happens in Corinth. It's a really cool story. In verse 1, it says, After these things... Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And, and, he, and he came to them, 
So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And so, you know, when you study the book of Acts, you know, we like to divide it up into three missionary journeys. This is the second missionary journey. And if you remember, last time we were in the book of Acts, uh, Paul had uh, evangelized in the city of Athens. And uh, some people got saved. It wasn't uh, a real big work. He didn't seem to plant a church there. And so now he finds himself continuing on in the missionary journey. And he arrives at this city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was a a pretty uh, amazing city, probably about 200,000 citizens in Corinth. It was located at a very strategic place. It was a place, an isthmus, where uh, you had the Adriatic Sea, the Aegean Sea. And rather than going, you know, down this crazy, you know, three-week extended uh, sail to try to get to the other side of the world, they would oftentimes, they would take the ships and they would put them on rollers from from one side to the other and uh, they would sometimes uh, literally roll the ships from, you know, across the canal, so to speak. It wasn't a canal yet, it was just a small portion of land. Uh, Or they would unload the ships, you know, from one, you know, port to the other port. And, And so... For that reason, it was just always a a very uh, populated place. Uh, You'll find even going back to as early as 8th century BC, it was uh, uh, probably uh, populated with 200,000 people. Eventually, they went through some problems. Uh, They kind of got smashed, but they rose again because of the location. And so, you know, Paul always had eyes to evangelize. You know, he was not just kind of like, well, whatever happens, happens. No, he prayed about things. He thought about things. He knew where he was going, and he wanted to reach the great city of Corinth. It it was a very carnal city. Uh, The the temple uh, had a thousand prostitutes that would go out every single night, you know, to try to seduce the men. Uh, There they worship their gods. And what we find is that even in this place of Corinth, Paul the Apostle goes, he's not afraid. He's not afraid. Sometimes we might look at someone and think, well, they'll never get saved, you know, because they're way out there, man. You know, they worship, you know, or they're an atheist, or they, you know, are so caught up in whatever the the Satanism, the drugs, whatever. But, you know, we can never have that mentality, you know. And uh, I don't know, you know, what the most effective way is for you to reach people, but I do pray you get on your face and you find out what God tells you to do. You know, the, the, the Corinthians were so bad that as early as the 5th century B.C., the Greeks uh, used a word that it was called the Corinthianize, and that means to act like a Corinthian, and what that was was symbolic for a person who was engaged in gross sexual immorality. Not, not only that, you know, they were so bad that if they ever had, you know, plays and they had people from Corinth, the, the Corinthians that were in the play were always the drunks. And so it was a, it was a, very, a really bad place. Uh, they worshipped the goddess Aphrodite and, uh, and, and Paul the Apostle. You're not afraid. You're not afraid. He, he goes into Corinth, and, and in one sense he, he's not afraid, but 
maybe in another sense he is because, you know, when we go in, we can have no confidence in ourselves. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. If you go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I just want you guys to see this real quick. You know, and it's good to know the background to the, the city of Corinth and how the church is started there because then when you read the epistles, and a lot of them actually, you're going to see everything kind of meshed together. But when Paul went to Athens, you know, I think he was eloquent. I think that he uh, would, you know, he reasoned with them. He quoted from their prophets. He quoted from their poets. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure because I, I, I know scholars disagree on this. But some people believe that when he went to Athens, he approached it more from an intellectual standpoint. And, 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 you know, I don't know. I mean, only God knows, but it wasn't like that great of a work that, that happened. And so now he's going into Corinth, and we're going to see as we study it here, he doesn't feel all that confident about himself. You know, you would think the great Paul, the apostle, this guy, you know, saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and you would think that, you know, he has this down by now. I mean, he's done this for so many years, and he loves the Lord, you know, and, and I'm sure he is always like, you know, confident and just dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't know, I don't know. In Athens, maybe there was a, a little struggle with that, you know, trying to maybe be, you know, intellectual and, and, and maybe not as dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure, but I do know this, that when he went to Corinth, he, he went with this uh, mentality. Look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, it's like, he said, I, it's like I thought this one out. I'm going to make this simple. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I've seen this. I've read it in church history, whether it's a D.L. Moody, you know, whether it's someone maybe, you know, like a, like a Raul Reese, perhaps, you know, and, and, and God does this work and people get saved. And you, and you listen to whatever the, the, the speech that D.L. Moody gave, it's all written down and it's just not, you know, maybe not as eloquent, maybe not as intellectual as others would, would expect and so when all those people get saved, when God does a work, because I've heard their testimonies, it's like God is glorified. You don't walk away thinking, oh, man, that was such a great message. I mean, that was just like so amazing. That guy is good. No, it's like, wow, God is good. God is good because of the work you know, that he has done. And, and we want to make sure that, you know, our, our confidence in, in, is, in, is in the Lord. And, and, you know, when we're preaching, and then we also want to make sure that when God, when, when there's a work that's done, that, that it's, you know, we realize it's not, it's not men. It's the Lord. 
You know, for some reason, when Paul went to Corinth, he went with weakness and trembling and determined not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And God did a great work there. We're going to see in one sense it was different than any other work that, that he'd ever done up to this point. You guys are going to see that. So back in the book of Acts, we find Paul the Apostle here. And I want to give you guys a few words that maybe you can write down. I'm sure there's so much more that we glean from the passages. But the first thing I see is the way that the Lord provided partners. Or you might even say friends. You know, but look at, again, what we read there. After these things, Paul departed from Athens. He went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named uh, Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. And so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for, worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. And so when you, when you do the, the math... Um, in, in A.D. 49, uh, the emperor Claudius had expelled the Jews. Uh, some people say because it was a Jewish-Christian conflict. We don't know for sure. But as a result of that, uh, Aquila and Priscilla were expelled from Rome, and they find themselves now in Corinth. Uh, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, this is right around A.D. 51, maybe a little later. And, and Paul just happened to be there at that time. They crossed paths. And what would end up happening as a result of that is God provided some pretty cool partners, uh, some friends in the ministry that would be there with him to the very end. You know, you're going to see Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Now, this is interesting, this couple. You know, it's really cool when you get a couple for Christ. You know, when you got husband and wife and they're both serving the Lord. You know, it's a, it's a gift. If that's you, I pray that you would be really, really grateful to God for that. Not every, you know, person has that. And, and my heart goes out to you, but it's okay. The Lord's with you as well. Don't be discouraged. But I, would, I do want to say, though, that if you're a couple and you love the Lord and you're serving the Lord, you are blessed. You are so blessed. I love Priscilla and Aquila. They're always mentioned together. You know, and the funny thing about it is sometimes it says Aquila and Priscilla. You'll read it in the Bible. Like here, sometimes it says it has her name first. Now, you may think that's not a big deal, but in the Bible, the order of names are always, always significant. And so some people believe that uh, um, Priscilla was maybe of noble origin. Others, you know, they're kind of funny. We don't know. They think she was more godly than him. I don't know. Sometimes that happens, right? All I know is that this couple, they love the Lord. I remember one marriage ministry, we did a whole study on them. I encourage you, when you get a chance, read about these, uh, this couple, a beautiful couple. You know, they follow Paul to Ephesus. Uh, they're the ones that minister to Apollos, who uh, needed to be uh, kind of like taught, you know, the, the, the ways of Christ. Apollos went on to become a great, you know, preacher and instrument in the church. You know, and then later on, when Paul would write to the church in Rome, they were back there in Rome, ministering in Rome. At the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, as you're writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, he says, and make sure you say hi to Aquila and Priscilla. They were faithful to the end. And what we find in life, and it's just so beautiful, 
when you're following the Lord and you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, is God hooks you up with partners. God brings friends into your life. God brings people into your life that will not only be co-laborers in Christ, but they're going to be friends, you know? And, and so much so, these guys end up working together. They end up living together. Now, you guys know how hard it is to live with someone and still be friends, right? Have you guys ever experienced that? I remember when I was you know, just out of high school and went to live with my friends, complete slobs, I mean, just terrible. Imagine five guys in one house, you know, and uh, it was hard, you know, and then you saw, sometimes even see Christians that, that live together, and, you know, it's hard, huh? Well, here these guys are, and God hooks up Paul with partners, and the second word is just the way that God provides, huh, for them. I mean, we're going to see that he, when he went to Corinth, this church was not, um, it wouldn't have been right for him to receive an honorarium from them. For whatever reason, uh, they uh, were not, you know, that type of church. Uh, Paul didn't have a piece about, you know, them supporting him. And so when he went to Corinth, we're going to see that he ended up working initially with his own hands. Uh, we see that he was a, a tent maker. Now, according to rabbinic tradition, this, uh, uh, what, what the rabbis would teach is, you know, not only would you have a, a job, per se, that might be from an educational standpoint, but they always wanted the guys to learn a trade to help support themselves. And so Paul, even though he was educated, he had a training and a trade. And so sometimes when he would go and serve in cities, he was uh, sometimes supported by them. But in Corinth, he decided to bypass that. And what we find is that he ended up working as a tent maker. He'd come from a place where the goat's hair was just, just awesome. And so they had that material. They would make it. It was perfect for tents. And so he had a, a job. He had a place to stay because he lived with them. And so, you know, one of the things in life, huh? Isn't that one of our lessons in life? Do you guys know that, that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Do you guys know that? Philippians 4, 19, right? Do you guys ever freak out? Do you ever worry? Do you ever wonder how we're going to make it? Um, hopefully you don't. Hopefully you don't. I mean, you might not be able to afford the mansion or maybe the, the, the new clothes or whatever it might be, but I, I pray that we would know where God guides, God provides. And if he's not providing, then he's not guiding, and that's okay. Who wants to go where God doesn't want them to go? And then that goes for ministry, too. You know, one of the things that Pastor Chuck always taught us is you don't have to beg for money. All you got to do is pray. You know, you see these guys sometimes on the radio, you see them on television, and they're always asking for funds, and it just makes you sick. You know, and now they even do it in the middle of the show. I mean, before, at least they waited until the end, you know. I mean, it's just crazy. We don't have to do that because then if you're always begging for money and then you get money, how do you know it's God? Right? God will always provide for us. You don't have to worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, Paul the Apostle, and we've talked about the fact that these, these missionary journeys... They were very expensive. 
to travel the way he was traveling and everything that it required, it was very expensive. But God provided for them. And, and we learn lessons in life, you know, that God, you know, will give partners and friends, embrace them, you know, cultivate those friendships. What does the Bible say? If you want friends, you've got to be friendly. Sometimes people will go, I go to church and, and nobody talks to me. Well, do you talk to them? Because if you did, then you can't say that. <laughs> you know, God will provide partners, friends, embrace it, because it's important, man. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Could Paul have ever done this without friends? Can you do what God's called you to do without friends? Some guys, they don't have any friends. That's why you need to go to a men's fellowship or you need to start, you know, reaching out. Or you need to get somebody's phone number. You need to pray with someone, you know? I mean, you got, you got to have friends. And, and, and then after the partners here, then we, we see the provision. God will always provide for us. I pray that we would know this. I know uh, for me growing up, I don't know what was wrong with my brain. There was something just drastically wrong with me. I was growing up completely oblivious to how am I going to live life? How am I going to make it in life? I mean, I don't know. I don't, no one ever like taught me, well, you're supposed to think about this, you know. Uh, go to school and, and get a trade or, or, you know, go to college or, or something because eventually you're going to have to stand on your own two feet I mean, for me, I just got high. I just partied. I never thought about it. I mean, and you might say, well, Manny, even though you didn't have any guidance, I mean, you should have been, you should have had enough common sense to know that eventually you're going to have to do that. Listen, I didn't have that. I didn't. Nothing. Nothing. I just, man, and, and how are you going to do this? I mean, a part-time job here, there, it's not going to cut it, you know? But once I got saved, and, and I knew this, and I always tell young guys this, that's the key. The key is put God first. And now my wife and I have been married for, you know, 26 years, and, uh, you know, we're fine. Sometimes I've even been overweight. I mean, it's been... <laughs> he has blown us away that way he has provided for us. When we started the church in Almani, you know, no offense, and Almani to me is a beautiful city. I love Almani. I love the people of Almani. But I had a pastor tell me, a pastor tell me, you're not going to make it in Almani. I'm like, why? And he's thinking, because there's no money in Almani. And I'm like, what? I said, I don't know how that's going to work. All I know is this, that we're God guides. God provides. And if, if I need to get a job or whatever, it doesn't matter. When we took the step of faith to get this building right here, it, did, it was not in the budget. I mean, you do the math, there is no way that you can afford to have even this building and you're on staff. And so I said, okay, that's fine. I'll get a job because I believe God's calling us to, you know, this facility. And so, you know, we took a step of faith. And uh, every step of faith that we took, whether it was that office over there or just different things, 
And so when we, when we did, then all of a sudden the offering went up. You know, God provided. And next time, you know, if, if there's a building down the street and God wants us to get it, if it's his will, it's his bill, right? Even if that means I have to get a job, that's okay. I mean, I'm not afraid to work. And Paul here, he's not afraid to work. If he's got to make tents, he'll make tents. What we do is we follow the Lord and we know that he will always provide for us. You know, when we get in trouble is when we're not following the Lord. When we get in trouble is when we get greedy for things. So here, it's just cool, the lessons that we learn, you know, that, you know, God gives partners, God provides, and he's got a, uh, friends, he has a job, he has a place to live. And then the third word after partners and provision is the word purpose because this is his purpose there in verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And so, you know, for Paul, it was to preach the gospel. And so there he would go every Sabbath and he was reasoning with them. People were getting saved. But here's the thing that's interesting about this. It, it, some people say that it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't really like the normal Paul. Because wherever Paul went, you guys know there was, either, there was two things, right? Either there was a riot or a revival, right? Wherever Paul would go. And this kind of seemed a little tame for him. There was something, I think, when you read it here, he was kind of holding back a little bit. People, I mean, God was working, you know, that he's persuading both Jews and Greeks, but, but there's something that, there's more that God wants to do. And, and I think all of us have that, that, that decision to make whether we're going to be like full bore, like all in, or whether we'll be casual Christians. And, and in one sense, I know Paul here is not just a casual Christian. He's a little bit above that. But, but what we're going to see is God's going to pull more out from him, just like God wants to pull more out from us. Because look what we read next. It says, And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. And from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You know, there's the, the partners, there's the provision, then there's the purpose. But when it comes to that purpose, are you full bore, man? Because, you know, you can do the, the typical, you can do the casual, you can do the normal. Or you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Or it's not just a part of your life, it's your life. And I think that right now, you know, Paul was going through uh, some struggles you know, having come from Athens, maybe, um, you know, there was something stirring up there. You know, the guys had not come, Silas and Timothy, because he was concerned what had, was going on in Thessalonica. That was something that was heavy on his heart as well. But when they arrived, two things happened. Number one, they get a good report about what's going on in Thessalonica. And then number two, they, they bring an offering from the Philippian church. And it was just like that encouragement that he needed. 
And it was like this fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. And it took him to the next level. It says right there that, that when they came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. And it's a beautiful word, that this word compelled. You know, it, it, it means he devoted himself to this. I mean, this word, it, it talks about... Um, uh, linguistically refers to a pressing in on every side, but metaphorically it means an urging of the soul. I mean, it's almost like Weist, he translates this word, how God just corners him. And in one sense, it gives him no other option. You know, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing what ended up happening here. Some even say that because of the, the honorarium or because of the, the financial gift that was given to them by the church of Philippi from Macedonia, that it was then that they were able, he was able to go just full time. Now, I don't have to worry about making tents anymore. Now it's just, I'm focused on this. All I know is that he just began to preach with this passion. And the reason why we know uh, it was so, uh, so much stronger is not only because of that word compelled, but because of what happened. What ended up happening as a result of him preaching? It brings us to our next word, problems, opposition. And that's what happens, huh? When you're really serving the Lord, when you're really seeking to do just everything that you can, all that he's called you to do, you, you, it's not going to be easy. I mean, the devil, you know, he's got, he's all, it's all organized, you know, and he's not dumb and, you know, he's saying, oh, you could leave that church alone. They're really not doing anything. You could really leave that, that guy alone. They're all caught up in their own life. We don't have to mess with them. As a matter of fact, if we mess with them, we might mess them up. Just leave them to do what they're doing. But, but when you're really serving the Lord and you're making that impact and you're, you're preaching the gospel and you're sharing God's word with God's love and God's spirit and dependent upon him, the devil sees that. He sees the way that they're not just playing church. He sees that there's something really happening there. And that's why when, whenever Paul was doing that, the enemy would always attack. He would always oppose. And that's what happens right here, right? It says in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, we thought he was already doing that in verse 4, but for whatever reason, now it's even stronger. And so, because it was stronger, it says that, that, that they opposed him, and they blasphemed. And so he shook his garments, and he said to them, listen, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And that's what ends up happening, you know? Sometimes, and, it, and I, know, I know we get these thoughts. I know we do. Like when we're, when we're trying to serve the Lord and things don't go according to what we would have thought it, sh it should be like this. Shouldn't it be smooth? Shouldn't God just like, you know, man, just bust those doors open and shouldn't everything, you know, work according to our plan? No, because there's a war going on. There's a war why would God allow that? Well, it's all part of the plan. He's going to make you stronger through it. And he's got something ahead for you. Because sometimes we think that when there's problems that, you know, we're, 
we're doing something wrong, when in all reality, sometimes there's problems because you're doing something right. And so we're preaching the gospel, our hands are clean. We're sharing God's word. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about hell. We're talking about sin. We're talking about grace. We're talking about love. We're talking about law. We're giving the full counsel of God. You know, in Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel 33, it talks about the watchman, and he warns the people, and he gives them God's word, and his hands are clean. If he doesn't give them God's word, he's in big trouble. So Paul here said, listen, now I'm going to the, the Gentiles. And, you know, we've seen that happen. You know, there's a lot of people out there. They don't want to hear it. You know, you share with them. You give them God's word. You be obedient to the Holy Spirit. But, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there all day casting your pearls to the swine. Paul says, okay, boom, I'm done now. I'm going to the Gentiles. And so we see he uh, departs in verse 7, and he enters the house of a certain man, Justice, one who worshiped God, notice, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And so more than likely, he didn't live here. He still lived with Aquila and Priscilla. But now he sets up ministry there. And isn't it interesting? It's right next door <laughs> to the synagogue, you know? And he's like, okay, let's do this. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. And so, you know, things are, are going good now in one sense. Hasn't this been the pattern? Hasn't it been Paul preaching to the Jews? They say, no, okay, now I'm going to share with the Gentiles, you know. And, and so it, part of it is, is a pattern. But, but one of the things you'll notice when you look at the first and second missionary journey is that when things begin to get successful, Paul, he experiences an even greater opposition. I mean, in Philippi, I mean, he got, you know, thrown into the, the dungeon, you know, and he was in the stocks and he was beaten. And you guys know, you know, sometimes they would stone him. One time they left him to die. And so he's thinking in his mind, he's thinking, well, that's next. I mean, I, I'm, I'm dealing with opposition, but according to the pattern that I have seen, when things go really good in, in, these, in these cities as I'm sharing the gospel, that that's next. And so maybe, and I think it's okay, we've got to give him a pass on this, huh? Maybe he's afraid. Sometimes when you're afraid, you want to quit. Sometimes. I don't want to serve. I don't want to go to church anymore. You name it. I think he was afraid. The great Paul the Apostle and so what happens? And so we read in verse 9, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. 
do not be afraid. But speak and do not keep silent. And here's the only reason we have for not being afraid. He says, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And so we, we start with the partners, how important it is to have friends and, and the provision, how God will always provide. You don't have to worry. And then the purpose, the purpose is for him to preach, for you to serve, to use your gifts and talents in the body of Christ. But that will always be followed by problems because the enemy is not going to take it lightly. But as you're there going through the problems, whatever your problems are in life, understand that you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because Jesus is with you. Isn't that what he promised? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Hebrews 13, 5, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. You know, and it's so cool, you know, because, I mean, Paul um, knew this from a theological perspective. I mean, you could read the Old Testament, how many times God told them, don't be afraid because I'm with you. One of my favorite passages is Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 6. That's the verse that God gave me to start the church. That verse is an amazing verse. You know, that was a verse where my daughter, when she was just a little girl, she did a painting. And she had a car and she had a house and she had a verse right there. Deuteronomy 31.6 was on the painting and I was looking at it and I was thinking, God, you want to speak to me through this? My little girl made this for me and uh, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anything about it. I was praying about coming to Almani and I wasn't sure. And then next thing you know, I get a phone call from some random person. Random. This is not a person who would call me, but they called me and they said, God gave me a scripture for you. Deuteronomy 31.6. And so I said, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say here? And this is all it says. It says, for I'm with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you wherever you go. Isn't that awesome? You might think, well, the Lord, you know, he lives there or in that city or whatever. And that. No, wherever you go, God said, I'm with you. Why? Because we're the church. And this promise right here that was given to Paul, even though we know it from a theological perspective and a biblical perspective and intellectual perspective, isn't it cool how God's grace is so amazing that every once in a while he'll just remind us in a very personal way? And so what ends up happening in this city, which is different than all the other cities up to this point, is he says in verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. You know, when you, when you look at this right here, just teaching the word of God, I mean, how many of you here would have liked to sit in on some of those studies? You know? I don't know how it's going to be in heaven. Uh, have you guys ever heard this before, that when we go to heaven, we won't need teachers because we'll know everything? 
I don't know if that's true. I kind of think maybe it, it is in a certain sense. Oh, there will be worship leaders, though. So Jimmy and Tina, they'll still have a job. They'll be worshiping. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, 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 just teaching. I, I wonder uh, how awesome these studies must have been for a year and a half, Paul the Apostle just teaching the Word. And that's what we do. That's the model now that we have as a church. I mean, we have a lot of different functions and you may come to a marriage fellowship and there's food or you may come to a, a whatever the events might be for the youth and the singles and, and different things. But the one thing that's always there is the teaching of the word of God. And so what ends up happening here, God says to him, listen, I have a lot of people here and, and they're, they're not going to, you know, um, they're not going to kill you. They, they might, you know, make you experience some pain, but it, it won't thwart my purpose and so we finish it up it says and when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia the Jews now with one accord they rose up against Paul and they brought him to the judgment seat and you can go there to this day the the Bema seat uh, there in, in Corinth and you'll see this seat and they're saying hey this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law and when Paul was about to open his mouth, uh, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, religious stuff, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. And then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. You see that the partners, the provision, the purpose, the problems, the presence leads to one last word, and that is protection. You know, and, and the devil can't touch you unless God allows it. And if God allows it, then there's a purpose for it. And we're invincible. We're invincible. We will not die until we're done. That's a comforting thought, huh? I remember the first time going, going to Cambodia, a little afraid because it's a long flight. And then I remember the next time I went to Cambodia, I was more afraid for whatever reason. I thought, I think the plane's going down. You know, my wife would tell me, you're getting scriptures that you're going to die? You know, she always asks me that, actually, you know. <laughs> And I, and, I, and I, you know how, you know how sometimes we play weird things with the Bible, we make it all mystical, so-and-so died, <gasps> I think I am going to die, you know? And so, uh, but at the end, I just, I was, right, I was brought back to this, that, you know, that as they brought Paul there, and, and, you know, the Jews are all upset with him, the judgment seat, the court, you know, it's a, it's a secular court, so he's like, I don't want to deal with the religious matters, you guys take care of it yourselves and you know it's kind of funny even how the greeks beat up the the jewish guy who maybe eventually gets saved we're going to see it's just so cool the way it all works together but but at the end of the day um he'll protect us you don't have to be afraid right if god wants you to travel to cambodia if god wants you to go street witness or, or wherever it might be you know we don't have to be intimidated why because our god is our shield he's our fortress we're invincible you know, and, and so, you know, the cool thing about it is that, you know, you don't have to be afraid to die. You don't have to be afraid to die. 
okay? So it's kind of cool. But remember this, that, that all men die, but all, not all men live. And by live, I mean living as a Christian, living in heaven, living to the hilt, living for the Lord. Jesus said, you know, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You know, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, I know most of you, but not all of you. And who knows, even some of you that I do know, you've been coming to church and, you know, today's your whatever. You've been here 127 times. It doesn't mean you know the Lord. I mean, you can't stand before God one day and say, I went to church. That doesn't save you. What saves you is you repent of your sins and you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know, has there, was there a day, has there a day where you truly gave your life to Christ? You know, there has to be a change. You know, Spurgeon said, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. Are you a different person? Are you really following the Lord? You know, if not, I pray that today you would make that that decision to follow Christ. Because all this, that's what it's all about. Paul's traveling the world not to be a sightseer. All this is about the extension of God's kingdom and telling people one by one how much he loves you. That he died on a cross for you. All your sins were put on him. They put him in a grave. He rose again. He did all the hard work. He suffered on the cross because he loves you so much. The Bible says that all you have to do is believe, not of religion, but of relationship.